Welcome to Center Ice. It is March 23rd. I'm Mac Vincent, your host, here with Matthew Maynard. And just right off the top, I wanted to wish my mom a happy birthday. Uh, thanks, Mom, for everything you do. I love you so much. But anyway, thanks for listening. We appreciate all the listeners and all the new listeners. Find us on iTunes under Podcasts. Find us on SoundCloud under Center Ice. And let's get to it, Matt. So how about last night? How about that goal that went in? Well, how can I describe it? Because it's one of these things where if you don't see it, you, you won't believe it happened. Okay, so, so, so let's, so let's, through it. let's let's set it up for you guys. The Coyotes were playing the Hurricanes. 2-0 Carolina, face-off at center ice. And this is in Arizona, right? No, Carolina. Oh, in Carolina. Still. So, uh, so here's what happens. Cam Ward goes behind the net, very relaxed, because he's always been good at playing the puck. And he goes to play the puck, and he can't for the life of him figure out where the puck went. So he, he goes back in net. So he goes back in the net. And nobody thinks anything has happened. And I don't even think the, the Coyotes players knew what happened. The commentators certainly didn't, and we can't blame them. We didn't we weren't <laughs> sure what was going on until so, we saw so the, the replay. So the officials stopped the play. Because they can't find the puck. Right. So nobody knows what's going on. Everybody is trying to figure out where the puck is. So here's what happens. The puck gets stuck in Cam Ward's right skate. Like lodged there, it's it's unbelievable. You guys have to check it out. Watch it on YouTube. It's crazy. It's one of those one of the crazier goals we've seen, at least in our lifetime. Certainly, there there's only one that can really compare to that one. And I don't know if you remember this play, but it was when the Coyotes, ironically, the Coyotes were involved in both of these weird goals. How how in, weird is that? Honestly, like, what are the odds? It just tells you the luck of the Coyotes. Mm. Anyways, it was in Buffalo, overtime of all things, and Mike Smith goes out to play the puck, thinks he has it, ends up in the the, the little gap between his pants and pads, <laughs> and he, he skates back into the net to cover, little knowing that the puck is in the back of, of his pants, and Buffalo scores and wins the game on that. Which one is which one of these is worse? I think well, they're both kind of the same, but I think Mike Smith probably had more of a clue. I'm telling you, when I watched that replay, Cam Ward had absolutely no idea where that puck went. Maybe he couldn't feel it, but it, it it's so weird because he goes behind the net to play the puck and then it just gets lodged in his skate. He can't feel it. And then you know, he watches the replay, and the coaches and the players watch the replay, and they're like, did that really just happen? It kind of sums up Carolina's season a little bit, doesn't it? It does. In a funny way. Trying, They try so hard, <laughs> but in the end, they end up losing. It, but it, at least to Cam Ward and Mike Smith, those were pretty much accidents. The, but when remember that goal Vesa Toskala gave up a few years ago? Oh, the, the bouncer? That yeah. sums up the Leafs' long and painful rebuild. But yeah. we want to open up the show with a little bit of fun there. And yeah, let's it was talk, a great night in the NHL last let's night. Let's talk about last night. How about Ange Kopitar? You know, he just keeps telling us, don't you forget about me <laughs> when we're talking about the Hart Trophy. And we shouldn't. We really Four shouldn't. goals. 
and they they clobbered the abs and one of them in particular it's going to be on every highlight reel for months now can you do that in nhl the video games you could. You, you could, but it wouldn't look as nice because the mechanics are all. And it would a little. I find the deking is a little clunky. Off topic, it's just I find, personally, but <laughs> you you can't you can't replicate perfectly some of the dekes that these guys pull off. And Anze Kopitar's beautiful goal on that backhand, spectacular. Also, it's, also, speaking about kind of recently what's happened, it's kind of the end of the era, end of an era for the NHL. The Chicago Blackhawks have officially missed the playoffs for the first time since 2008. And remember, last year, the Red Wings missed the playoffs for the first time since 1990, and they're going to miss the playoffs again this year. I mean, these are two teams that were powerhouses for years, and now they're they're out. It's, it's weird. I rem- it's still weird to me. I remember going through grade school, and those two teams – were the dominant teams. I remember Chicago's first cup win. I wanted Philadelphia to win that year. But I, I had a feeling that with Taves and Kane, and that was a really good Chicago Blackhawks team. Hosa at his prime, really. It was a great team. And I remember watching that game six, and all of a sudden, remember when that goal went in? No, no one was quite sure, but the Blackhawks started celebrating. Yeah, and that I'll really, never forget that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the start of... Little did we know at the time, an incredible run, especially in this day and age. It's hard to win the Cups or be consistent in the playoffs like the Blackhawks have. But we've seen it since their win in 2015. They won it in 2015. And then after that, thing, you could tell things were starting to wind down a bit. And players were getting older. Players were leaving. Trades were happening. And 2015 really was their last big peak, and since then we've seen them falling. We saw them get obliterated. There's no other way to put it, but obliterated by the Predators last year. So, But I think, honestly, it's, it's a good thing overall for, for the Blackhawks because it's kind of a reality check. Okay, yes, you have won you know, a few cups the last 10 years, and that's great. And you do have Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith, Corey Crawford. But when they were winning these cups, they were playing a different style of game. The NHL had not really switched to this fast-paced game that it was. You know, if you look at that roster, Jalmerson, Seabrook, Hosa, Bickle, like these are not super skilled players. But the Blackhawks were the best at playing that kind of two-way physical game with some skill. So they had guys like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and Marion Hosa. But, you know, it's funny. If you assembled, let's say, one of those Blackhawks Stanley Cup teams and pitted it against one of the teams that's going to represent in the Stanley Cup this year, I don't think they'd have a chance. I mean... The speed of the game really is amazing. And so, for somebody like me that and, and you as well that have watched the change, I mean, the Blackhawks were so dominant for that period of time. And now they've got all these contracts that they need to figure out what they're going to do with a lot of them. We'll get to that later on in the show. But this brings us to our next discussion. So we've talked a lot about the change of pace and the change of play in the NHL today. 
But we wanted to mention some players that have really kind of flourished even with the change and maybe some players that are here that wouldn't be there in kind of the old style NHL. You have to talk about Sidney Crosby. The guy is still just unbelievably good. Evgeny Malkin. We were mentioning Anze Kopitar. Anze Kopitar has been fabulous. Alex Ovechkin continues to score goals better than anybody else in the league. Phil Kessel. Old Phil the Thrill. Guy is still good, and he's made for this style of game. He really is. He really has flourished in Pittsburgh. He was great in Pittsburgh. Pardon me, Boston, and he was good in Toronto. I mean, you can argue about that, but I think he had a pretty good run in Toronto for the team that for the teams that he was on. Oh, he absolutely did. We just had nobody else, and we were relying <laughs> but, on him to score. But for but he's <laughs> flourished in Pittsburgh, and under yeah. this new style of gameplay, and yeah. you have to give credit to him because playing in one era of hockey is one thing, but the way hockey has changed, even from five years ago. It's drastic. It's so much faster and so much younger now. Yeah, and you have to mention the big guy, Zdeno Chara. He's still good, man. He's still a shutdown defenseman for the Bruins. It's pretty impressive that everybody knows he's not the best skater, but I think as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little smarter as a player. I would I would argue that. I think he knows that the big slap shot isn't as effective as it used to. Because remember when Chara was at his prime, <laughs> if he was taking that slap shot, you would not want to be blocking yeah. that shot. Yeah, and it's you're right. It it shows once again just how much it's changed. Like the big slap shot from the point used to be everything every team was trying to do. You want a defenseman that could rip the puck and that were big and physical, and Chara is still that, but. Again, I, I think he understands what he can and can't do, and he understands that he's a really good defensive player. And he uses those skills. He gets the puck to the net. He goes for, like, tip shots, and he trusts the players around him. And that's what you see now with your modern-day offensive defenseman. Look at a player like Eric Carlson, who even when he came into the league, it was a different style. Not drastically different, but certainly different than what you're seeing now. Yeah, so let's let's wrap this up by looking at the OHL playoff matchups. Yeah, let's take a look at those OHL playoffs. And currently we do have two series underway at the moment. We have Hamilton versus Ottawa that got underway last night. And we have Owen Sound versus London. And Hamilton leads 1-0. Owen Sound leads 1-0. I'm a big 67s fan. I won't sugarcoat that. I think the 67s played all right against a team like Hamilton. I think they could steal a game or two. I don't see them winning. I think the powerhouses, though, are Hamilton and Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie has had an unbelievable year with Morgan Frost and all the other players that they have. And Hamilton, Robert Thomas, we mentioned him in the World Juniors, such an impressive young player. The St. Louis Blues have a good thing going with Robert Thomas. And... I think one other thing that's nice about the playoffs is you get to see players like Shvechnikov and you get to see a lot of these top prospects play kind of on a bigger stage because I think the OHL playoffs, well, the CHL playoffs in general, is underrated. They are. If you want to watch some good playoff hockey before the NHL, you watch the OHL. One team I wouldn't count out of this quickly is I wouldn't count out Owen Sound. 
with Nick Suzuki. You and I got to go see them a few weeks ago, and they were yeah, very good. They controlled the game, really. Yeah, they were pretty impressive. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen them play a lot, but from what we saw, they were a pretty good team. I think they could probably work on holding leads, and we saw that in our game. They they were up big, and they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, and Ottawa came all the way back and won that game, which really they had no business being in that game. So we'll continue this conversation right after the break. You're listening to Center Ice. Welcome back to Center Ice. And I, we just wanted to quickly wrap up our segment on the OHL playoffs. And the OHL playoffs are really anything can happen. And you have to remember, as you're watching the OHL playoffs, we also have the WHL and the QMJHL playoffs going on. So if you're a fan of minor hockey and prospects, you got to watch some of the OHL playoffs. And a lot of these teams, I know, will live stream, and you can listen on, on the wonderful radio. And it's a great time to just see which players are really raising their stock or lowering their stock. And you can bet that all the scouts are going to be watching these OHL, WHL, QIT, MJHL playoffs. It's a great time because the MasterCard Memorial Cup is fantastic, but the journey there is just as good. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to watching it. I think I'm going to make a point of watching more of it as long as I have time. We're at a point in our semester where everything is really crazy right now, so spare time is something probably doesn't exist for us the last five or so weeks and probably won't exist a whole lot, but we'll continue to do this show as long as we have time, which we should. We're not quite sure about next week yet, but we'll let you know via Facebook or Twitter. April 27th or so. Can't come soon enough. But anyway, anyway, let's roll into the next topic. And what I wanted to talk a little bit more about is which off-season teams are kind of in flux right now. Because as much as we've enjoyed the success of, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche and some of these other teams that have really taken a step forward this year, there are other teams that have taken a step back. And I think there's a few specifically. There's some that have issues, but they're, I wouldn't consider them in flux, like Arizona, for example. Like, they're clearly in a rebuild. They have a new GM who's still learning how to be a GM. So I wouldn't really put them there. Same with Buffalo. They've already hired their new front office. We don't really have enough of a track record to evaluate the general manager and front office there just yet. But then you move on to Detroit, Montreal, Edmonton, Ottawa, the Islanders, and Vancouver. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Let's go to Detroit. Second straight year they've missed the playoffs. They are not drafting well overall. If you look Horrible at their draft draft results, as well, right up against the cap. I I, I mean, I, what I want to know is, does Ken Holland keep his job in the offseason? I think it's very much in question right now. I don't think anybody from Detroit will tell you they're not grateful for Ken Holland for building those powerhouse Red Wings teams. They are. They absolutely are. But they are furious with some of the decisions he's made um, in the last few years. I think that Ken Holland will 
It's going to be weird next season, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is fired. Or I wouldn't be surprised if your management in Detroit right now, you're going into Ken Holland's office and you're saying, we want to keep you, but we don't want you to be GM. And I think we could see something like what Brian Murray did with the Senators a few years ago. Mind you, Brian Murray's was for health reasons. But I think we could see something similar where he, after a rough season, he holds a press conference and says, I'm not being fired, I'm not leaving the team, but I'm not going to be your GM anymore. And I think that's... Because I don't think he can fire Ken Holland. He's, even if his moves and drafting has been questionable the past couple of years, I think he's still valuable to a team. And if Detroit fires him, I wouldn't be surprised if another team picks him up. I, well, I think another team might pick him up, but I don't think any team right now will say that they want Ken Holland to be in charge of hockey decisions because he kind of had his time as an elite GM. And I think one thing that I've kind of picked up, uh, you know, over the years is that, yes, he was a very good GM, but he also had a tremendous support staff when he was in Detroit. You look at some of the guys that went through that front office, Steve Eiserman, now an elite GM by a lot of people's standards, Brendan Shanahan doing a great job with the Maple Leafs, Jim Nill with the Dallas Stars, and the list goes on. There's there's guys there that were there that are now somewhere else, like the coaches. Todd McClellan was there. Todd McClellan has moved on to a job. Bill Peters. The list goes on. Mike Babcock. Like, really, he had just a tremendous set of coaches and front office personnel and players at his disposal. And I think as much as he's a good GM and he's a quality GM, I think a lot of those guys and those things kind of disguise that maybe he isn't the best GM. I don't think he's the best GM, and I don't think he stays as GM, nor do I think he gets a high job in hockey operations if he sticks around. We'll see. Anyway, one team that I forgot to mention in the introduction is those Calgary Flames. Such a interesting team because... Like Matt mentioned to me before we went on the air here, they're not bad enough to be a bottom feeder, but they're not good enough to be a real contender in the playoffs. Real funny situation there in Calgary, but let's talk about Calgary. They made the decision to bring in Travis Hamanick and make a big commitment paying a first-round pick, and that hasn't gone very well. TJ Brody has not had a good season. And really, when you look at Calgary, they're a one- or two-line team. The bottom six, like we've mentioned, has been a disaster. I think they probably need to look at that. And how secure is Glenn Galitzin as head coach? I don't think he's super secure, and neither is Dave Cameron or any of that of the assistant coaches in Calgary because we've seen Gullitson's rants on... Facebook through Sportsnet and TSN. We've seen him rant. He's, I don't know what goes on in Calgary's room. No one does, unless you're a player or the coach. But I don't see him as the right fit for a Calgary Flames-type team. Do you? I mean, he may not be, because obviously something's not working with the coaching staff there. 
And a lot of times when things are working with a coaching staff, the players really respond to the system and they they like playing there. I don't get the impression that a lot of players like playing in Calgary right now. That That's just my observation. And the other thing here that's interesting when you talk about them not being bad enough to be a bottom feeder and not being good enough to be a real contender is what happens with the goalie situation. We know Gillies and Parsons are two top goalie prospects, but right now that's all they are. They haven't proven anything at the NHL level. They've got Mike Smith under contract for another year. And then what? They don't have a reliable backup. And this guy, David Riddick, who's coming in, is not ready to play as much as he's played. And although he has been good, probably not an NHL backup, probably more of an AHLer, in my opinion. And we've talked about it before earlier in the year. Calgary has had a goalie problem for years. They brought in Brian Elliott last year, who, to his credit, put up some all right numbers. And I believe, believe it was Hillard of the year before, wasn't it? Yeah. They, Ever since. Well, let's see if we can name all those goalies. Let's let's have some fun here. <laughs> we know all right. Let's, let's go back to Kippersoff. Right, well, Mika Kippersoff. Kippersoff was their bread and butter for goals. Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> Hiller. Hiller. Smith. Smith. Hmm. Oh, uh, Kari Ramo. Oh, yeah, Ramo. Uh, Eddie Lack. Yeah, Eddie Lack. The list goes on and on. It, it, they haven't had a solution in net. I think Mike Smith's a good goalie. But, I think he's the solution you have for now. But the question is... Is it long-term? Exactly. Like, Mike Smith's, what, 35, 36, 36 years old? And I think a lot of fans have that question too with Calgary. You know, what what is next for this team? I This is one of the teams I'm fascinated by. I would love to know what they're thinking right now. I don't think they're in as dire situ- of a situation as their Alberta counterparts in the Oilers. No, but at they're the same time, situation. They, their cap situation is not much better, like not much better than the Oilers. Let's be honest. But anyway, so that's Calgary. Let's move on to the New York Islanders. Another just fascinating team and fascinating situation because if you look at the New York Islanders, Tavares, DeHaan, Nelson, Hickey, and Halak, all free agents at the end of the season, and I think odds makers will say that John Tavares probably isn't going to re-sign at this point. And they don't have a lot of cap room. They have less than $2 million. What happens with Gar Snow? I mean, the fans have been more vocal, I think, than pretty much any other fan base the last few years about the fact that they don't want Gar Snow as their general manager, but he seems to have like a bond with the players, so they've kept him around. But I, I would be really surprised if they, they keep Gar Snow because I think even though the ownership is a little strange at times like it is with a lot of teams... I think you have to understand that what Gar Snow has done to this team is he's made them a pretty good team, not a great team. They've always kind of been a pretty good team. And they have some really good players. But the goaltending, to me, is the biggest key, and the defense. So as far as goaltending goes, they've got Ilya Sorokin, who we should mention more on this show. 
I mean, the guy right now is in the KHL playoffs with CSKA Moscow. And just listen to these numbers. Through less than 10 games, he has a 972 save percentage and a 0.25 goals against average. And he's in his mid-20s now. You have to wonder if maybe they're going to give him a shot next year to start. There is a chance I, that he could start, especially with Halak and the free agency coming up this summer. Do you, I'd take that risk. It's a very risky risk, that's for sure. You're gambling a lot. because I don't see any gamble here. I mean, you give him a shot, you see what he can do, and then if he's not doing well, you send him back to the KHL. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's a good risk to take. I think he's... And then I guess Good. he can't play but in he can to. play in the AHL still. You could send him down to the AHL, maybe but I, I really think that he's a big key to their rebuild. I think the other big issue other than Taveras is the defense. Because you have a guy like Ryan Pulak who's really improved this year. But I don't know, aside from him, I look at that defense and I say that is not not a good defense. I like Pellick, I can see why they didn't want to get rid of him uh, during the expansion draft. But overall, just just not a great defense and not great goaltending. I think if they turn that around and they figure out how to solve that defense, they're going to be better. Anyway, we've got more teams to talk about after the break on Center Ice. Welcome back to Center Ice, and we want to continue talking about teams. So how about the Carolina Hurricanes? They've got a new owner. Ron Francis is out as GM, like we've mentioned on previous shows. And they're looking for a new GM. But they haven't made the playoffs since 2009. And if you look at their team, one of the big issues has to be goaltending. Cam Ward is a perfectly capable backup. But asking Cam Ward to play starter because... Like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat this. It's Scott service. Darling sucks. Is well. probably not the best idea. He also, as I said, it's also a bit of fan service. Not that I don't like Cam Ward. But Cam Ward is, besides Sebastian Ajo, really, and after Stahl has left, it's safe to say that Cam Ward is the face of that franchise, especially if you don't follow them a whole lot. I, yeah, you I think could probably he, say that. I think Sebastian Ajo has probably taken over that. But I think it, he, if he hasn't, he will. Right, right. But I, I see what you mean. I mean, he's been around pretty much forever. He won he's, a cup. he's won a cup with them, and he's had some great years with them. So, But I, I think they can keep him as a backup. I think that makes sense. But, but since that 2006 run to the cup and winning it, the Hurricanes really haven't been a consistent in the playoffs. The last time they made the Stanley Cup playoffs was 09, so we're approaching 10 years now. Yeah. And really, the Hurricanes have they've never really been that bad. They've just been kind they're, of They're kind of like Calgary. They're in the middle. They really are. Like Calgary and Carolina are not dissimilar teams. Like like you mentioned, they have some good players. Sebastian Ajo is a heck of a player. But why did you feel the need to sign Justin Williams to a two-year 4.5 mil per contract? I understand you need a leader. I understand you thought you'd be better. But to me, like 
when they made these moves to sign Darling and to sign Williams, I was like, what's the point? Even if you bring those guys in, are they really going to make a bigger difference on your team? And I think if Darling panned out to what they thought he was going to be, he could have. But Justin Williams is a guy that's a leader, and he'll give you probably 50 points a year. And that's kind of what he is. But I was a little surprised that they didn't look a little harder at making a move for another forward and because they've got a great defense core. But they don't have a lot of prospects coming up. They do have Martin Nikosh, who's who's a very good player, but again, still developing. And I really think that unless they can find value, unless they can convince you know a John Tavares to sign or something like that, they do. You're the probably you're so, probably going to have to trade for a forward, and you're probably going to have to trade a defenseman. So. Matt, which defenseman do you see them moving? Hmm. They're, they have some good defensemen to move. And I want the roster right off the top of my head. But they do have some guys that can move. I'll pull up the roster right here because they, do, they certainly do have some guys they can move. There's no doubt about that. One thing I will say is that they're probably going to keep Jacob Slavin. I mean, That's for, you guys, for you guys that don't watch the Hurricanes a lot, I'll admit this I'm guy, Jacob Slavin, is a tremendous defenseman that not a lot of people give credit to. I mean, but if you talk to Connor McDavid and you talk to players like that and you ask him, ask them about Jacob Slavin, they'll tell you, you know, that kid's a darn good defenseman. And he really has made – he has worked hard to become as good as he is because when they signed him to that contract extension – he really changed who he was as a player. He's a great defensive player. He blocks shots. And, you know, he's really one of the underrated players in the NHL. I don't see them moving him. I think he's going to stay, but maybe a Falk or a Pesci? That's, that's who I was thinking. Now that I've got my mind refreshed on the Hurricanes, and I'll admit I don't watch the Hurricanes as much as I should. I watch a lot of... Canadian teams. I watch. I watch most teams, but the Hurricanes have just been mediocre for so long that I can't. Not that I don't forget that they're there, but to an extent you do, but unless your team is playing them. But I think a Falk you could get a good return for. He's their captain right now, and he's he's all right as the players goes. <laughs> yeah, um, I <laughs> he's mean, he's all right. I mean, I, I don't know. Obviously, teams would call if Slavin was available, but I really don't think that they'll make him available. I think any GM coming into that team will say, that's a guy I want to build around. But a guy like Falk, who I think a lot of people maybe thought was kind of an elite top pair guy, I think I, really kind of settled into a top four. I think I, I think I said it right there that he's good, but he's all right. And that's that's kind of the defenseman you need now and again. You need a solid top four defenseman. A so lot of teams to, would would pay a lot to get a Justin Falk. I think clearly he wasn't made available at the trade deadline, probably because of the new ownership situation and them not having a GM. And I, I don't think they had any desire to really do anything because I think they knew that we might make the playoffs, but 
we're probably not good enough, which is not a bad thing. I, I think the fact that they made those two moves in the offseason, they brought in Williams and they brought in Darling, they took a swing for the fences and they lost. And that's okay. At least you didn't sign a long-term brutal contract, you know? They have they have cap space, like you a mentioned. A lot of cap space, $15 million or so. So they're not in a terrible situation. And it just it, we would really be interested in how they figure out this roster. I don't because see them getting a John Tavares. But they no, I, I was just giving. I know, an example. but they certainly they certainly have the cap space to go for him. It's not. I don't see it happening. I don't think anyone does. But you never you know. You certainly can't count it out of the question. Crazier things have happened. I don't see it happening. No, I, I think this offseason your priorities have to be the draft. draft and acquire forwards and figure out that goaltending situation because, you know, saying that there's not any good free agent goalies and there's not good goaltenders for trade, that's what bad GMs say. Who you do have you... to be creative. You have to figure out this situation. I, maybe you need to take a shot on one of these top prospect goalies that other teams aren't so high on. And see what you get. Who who do you go after as a forward if you're Carolina? I think there's a lot of guys that that you could pursue because when you dangle a guy like Justin Falk, pretty much every team is going to be interested. And I th- first of all, I think first and foremost they need a top line center. They absolutely need that. It, it's it's a glaring need. And when you don't have that top line center it makes you a much easier team to play against. Personally, so I think that has to be priority I, number I'm one. I'm surprised that Carolina, Carolina had a very quiet deadline. There's no denying that. As compared to other teams, I think they had a very quiet deadline. But as you said, they, they knew where they were. They knew they weren't going to make the playoffs. Or if they did, there was a very slight, low chance of them moving on. But I think I'm almost surprised when you think about it that they wouldn't go after someone like a Derek Broussard. And I know you're probably going to rebuttal me about this. It was probably the price, though, because, yeah, yes, a Derek Broussard is a, is a top six forward on pretty much every team, but the price that they gave up to get him was a lot. They gave up Philip Gustafson, Gustafson, excuse me, and I think uh, two draft picks. For a team like Carolina, that's a lot. And... The question is, would would the Sens ask for Martin Nikosh or somebody along those lines? They probably they would, probably right? Would. So uh, there's a reason they didn't do that trade, mm-hmm. you know. Although, although that's the thing. The, no, well, but the I, I'm I'm talking comes, about like a a top line center, not not a Derek Broussard. Mm-hmm. I know, but you, you have to be realistic. Right at the deadline, I don't think you're going to be moving a top, or it's unlikely you'll be moving a big top line center. No, this no, is no. A trade you make in the off season. Exactly, and and I think there's there's teams out there that are willing to explore something like this. I I don't know the trade market off the top of my head, and we don't really know the trade market until the off season. But I'm telling you right now that the big keys to a successful kind of retool for Carolina is you need support for a guy like Sebastian Ajo. You need a number one center and you need to figure out the goaltending. If they can do that, 
I really think they're a team that could be quite good in the future. This is a team that could turn it around quickly, in my opinion. Because like you said, they've got cap space. They've got young players. They seem to have a pretty good ownership situation for the first time in a little while. The fans... They have Slowly pretty. They have back. pretty good fans, and the fans will support the team when they're good. I think I was gonna say. I think the fans. I'm not talking the hardcore ones. I'm talking the fans who casual. I think they're slowly starting to come back. I think they see stability is returning, and I think they see that new, the new owner is committed to a winning team in Carolina. He's committed to keeping them there. He also is a winner in my heart for Hartford Whalers. No, <laughs> no denying that. Yeah. So I, I think he's a hit among the league. So I think it's a good situation down there in Carolina if they play their cards right. I'm not going to speculate who's going to be GM today because, frankly, no one knows. But I, but I think with Carolina, you've got to look at everything. Maybe maybe there's a trade out there for a Jordan Stall that you take. Maybe there's some value because I like Jordan Stall, but... I think a contender with a Jordan Stall might pay a pretty decent price for him. And I, I don't know if they need Jordan Stall. I, I think you need kind of the opposite player of a Jordan Stall, kind of like a speedy two-way player. So we'll see what happens. But, again, Carolina just a fascinating team, much like the Islanders and the Flames. Like, they're not – all those teams are not that different. No, when you think really. about it, and they're not bad enough to be in our bottomless pit of doom. No, no, no not no. at all. <laughs> but they're not good enough to be in our uh, top five. No, but a lot of people thought that uh, they this were going to be, be better year. this season, and I think reality set in probably around the midway mark of the season. And I think the the owner, the new owner, in the front office understands that. They weren't going to make the playoffs, and that it was time to look ahead to next year. So, you know, with a team like this, if there's ever a player that has an injury, they're going to be extremely careful. They're going to say, "You sit until you're ready." Whereas the team in the playoffs, they'd be they'd handle that situation much differently. But anyway, we'll be right back for the final segment. As always, top five, bottom five, lots of discussion coming right at you on Center Ice. Welcome back to Santa Rice. It is Friday, March 23rd. The week is almost done. If you're listening to us on Sunday, happy Sunday. The week is about to begin again. You'll make it through it. But let's head right in to the bottomless pit of doom. Because, as always, we want to start off our last segment by looking at the worst and heading into the best. So, without further ado, the bottomless Pit of Doom. So to lead off at the very bottom of our bottomless pit, which technically shouldn't even be possible, but this team has been pretty bad, and they found a way to do what we thought was impossible, and you know what? There's not much difference between a shipwreck in the Pacific and the Vancouver Canucks right now, because they're both at the bottom of the Pacific. <laughs> They've been... I, I know Vancouver isn't a ship. They're supposed to be based off orcas, at least what their logo says. From At least from that's the vibe I'm getting. But still, they're both on, at the Pacific, and they're both at the bottom, just like a shipwreck. 
And a lot of things have to happen during a shipwreck to end up at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. And just, it's been a really, really rough season if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about this before the show. Yes, they have Brock Besser. Yes, they have Pedersen. Yes, they have Thatcher Demko. But other than that, yes, they have Bo Horvat. I just I don't see the depth and I don't I don't love the the prospects coming up for this team. And management always seems to over evaluate what they have with Vancouver. So they're kind of a meme at this point. Like the fact that last some somewhere in the last month or so, Jim Benning was quoted as saying, This is the best Canucks team I've ever had. It's just nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. Go ahead. And next up in our bottomless pit, they do let me down, unlike Daya's song, the Edmonton Oilers. Just just a just a season that fans and players would like to forget. Connor McDavid and Dreisidel have been great, but the rest of the team has been I guess Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you have to give it to him. But the rest of the team has been a disaster. I and Peter Shirelli, we were we were at city council meeting yesterday for one of our courses, and we saw Rick Chirelli, and I was so tempted to ask him what's going to happen with Peter Shirelli, but I resisted the urge because they are not related. I'm trying to be professional, and it's it's kind of a silly thing to do. But anyway, that just kind of shows how overly tired we are when we're making jokes about Chirellis. But anyway. Number three, we have the Ottawa Senators. Why? Why, Ottawa? Why? That's that's the joke there, Mac. Why? Why must Ottawa be so cruel to me? As an Ottawa Senators fan this season, there's nothing memorable about it except maybe the outdoor game. That's really, maybe the Sweden series, but that's... <laughs> They're, they're like meatballs. They're cooked. They're done. They're eliminated. They lost, <laughs> had an ugly loss to Edmonton last night. And even Guy Boucher said his team got schooled by Connor McDavid and the Oilers last night. And the only reason Ottawa isn't in front of Edmonton on this list is because Ottawa had a slightly better last week. Uh, you know, I, I'll say that I've endured a lot of painful seasons as a Leafs fan, so... If it happens, just just keep me in your thoughts because I pretty much went through that my entire life being a fan of this team. Um, but I think at this point, the Sens are really checked out. A lot of the players are just looking forward to the offseason. They've got the golf club all shined up. They, they really are. Like you, you can tell for the most part. You know, I think there's a guy like Matt Duchesne who is kind of playing for a contract. And the Sens have said that they're going to try and sign him and Eric Carlson. We'll see if that materializes. That'll be interesting. It could happen. And I think if you're Ottawa, after seeing what this team looks like without Eric Carlson, and he's off for family issues, really feel bad for Eric Carlson and his wife. Just awful what's happened, huh? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't even say how terrible that is, and you know, I hope that he can move on from that. That's got to be one of the most difficult things he's endured in his life, and just you know, we feel for the Carlsons, and we hope that 
you know, he gets the kind of time off that he needs to get over such a tragic thing. It, it, it really is sad. And, you know, I think the best thing you can do in that situation is just, you know, send love their way. Just make sure that there are a lot of people to go through those kind of things in life and it, not just the Carlsons, but at, at, it just happened at, it can never happen at a good time, but especially when the Suns are having such a rough season and then this happens. And I mean, Eric Carlson at this point, I don't know if he's going to play another game this season, and I don't know if he should. And I don't think anyone would blame him. No, right. So anyway, once again, we are sending our love to the Carlsons, and we hope that they can get over this tragedy. But let's go to... The fourth worst team in our bottom five. And, you know, for years they were driving that that 65 Mustang. And it, and it was just blowing everybody out of the water. It was loud. It was proud. It was shiny. And now, I don't know, what are they driving? Maybe a Ford Focus? Something Not like even. that? The They're Detroit being... Red Wings. Now, Matt, before we get on to actually talking about our lovely Detroit Red Wings here... Let me just say, you didn't even have to make a whole joke. Unfortunately for Detroit, it's, it's Detroit as a whole in the city has not been good. And just like March Madness, everyone kind of knew chokes were going to happen. And that's and Detroit hasn't even choked. They've just been out of breath the whole season. Uh, they're just not good enough. And we they, talked they, about them they, earlier, they, they, They're well. icing basically a half AHL, half NHL roster. And the scary part is they don't have a lot of cap space, even with the Tatar trade. So, again, just I really don't know what's going to happen in the offseason, but I think you're in danger of really losing the fan base there if something doesn't start to happen soon that shows them that you're at least headed in the right direction. Because other than Dylan Larkin and a few other good young players, they don't really have a lot those Detroit Red Wings. But yeah, anyway, now the final team in our bottom five, the Wings are hot, the Sabres are not. <laughs> <laughs> that That is much better than your Detroit joke. Let me just put that, that out there. But Buffalo, we give them credit. They're kind of scratching and clawing their way out of our bottomless pit. I don't think it's going to happen this season, guys. I'm sorry about that. Well, they got Jack Eichel back, so that's good. Yeah. They, and one thing we did mention is they have a new front office there. They just – we haven't been able to evaluate them yet. I I do like what they've done there. I like Phil Housley as a coach. I think he's the right coach for that team. And I like some of the players they have. But, again, they're, they're not unlike any of the other teams that we've talked about. Like, they've got a goaltending issue figure out how to fix that. They need more depth. They can't put together the roster that they have this season and expect it to do well. You know, maybe Ryan, um, excuse me, Nylander gets a shot next year. Maybe Middlestat gets a shot next year. You've got some good prospects too. So we'll see what happens with the Sabres. But honestly, like overall, I would say the Sabres are headed in the right direction. And I don't think you have to be all doom and gloom about the Sabres. Although, I really if don't. If you're any of these teams right now, April 28th or so can't come soon enough, just like us here at school. April 28th can't come soon enough. 
because draft lottery day. And the odds are really in all of those teams' favors. And I, it could go to anyone. It's the Rasmus Dahlin draft lottery. Whoever wins that pick is going to dra- draft Rasmus Dahlin. There's no doubt. You know, speaking of Buffalo, I, I think more than any other team, they need this. And I don't know if they're going to win the lottery, but I think he's the kind of guy that Buffalo really needs because Ristolainen is a heck of a heck of a defenseman, but he doesn't have any support on that blue line. You look at that blue line, and it's a bunch of young players and kind of NHL vets. Like that, that's what it is. But I think with that system that Buffalo has in place. He would really be a great player with that team. I think he fits in really well. You know, whether he goes to that team or not, it remains to be seen. But again, like like we mentioned, they're headed in the right direction. It's not we're not overly negative about Buffalo because they did say at the start of the season that they would like to compete for the playoffs, but I don't think they thought they were a really good team. And I don't think they thought that the playoffs was a very realistic thing, or else they would have made more moves. And we have to give them credit. They traded Evander Kane. Evander Kane's a good player, but they got a nice return for him. So I don't think I can really fault Buffalo for a lot of things they've done this year. So let's move on to our top five here. Oh, we've got to do an abbreviated top five. All right, leading off the top five, the number one team... The Nashville Predators. And number two, 10 wins in a row, looking like a real threat in the Eastern Conference now, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Certainly, and it's safe to say it was t- we had a tough decision t- this week with both Nashville and Columbus riding good win streaks and playing really well. And unfortunately, we didn't have enough, a whole lot of time to talk about Columbus this week, but they've been outstanding and offense is firing on all cylinders. Bob Rosky has been outstanding. He's looking like he was in Vesna form a few years ago. Remember when he was that real threat for Vesna? Yep. That's what he's reminding me of again. And I like what I'm seeing from Columbus. I want to see Columbus do well in the playoffs this year. It'd be really good for Ohio hockey as a whole, especially if they can get into the third round or even the finals. It'd be really good to see that. Number three on the list this week, they've been a constant on our top five for the past who knows how long, really since the all-star break, the Boston Bruins, who clinched their spot to the playoffs this week. Number four, the Winnipeg Jets. Number five, we disagree on. I'm going to say the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Matt is going to say? The Washington Capitals. You notice we don't have Tampa Bay anywhere here because both of us are really unsure of this team come playoff time. I think there's been a lot of kind of holes that have been exposed as the regular season wears on. Anyway, that is the show this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mac Vincent, your host here with Matthew Maynard. Find it on SoundCloud under Center Ice. Find it on iTunes under Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Center Ice Radio. Enjoy the weekend of games, everyone.